Welcome to the Mid-City Church Sermon Cast. I'm so glad you're here. Today we're continuing our Lenten series called Vices. Get ready because the Sermon Cast begins now. A couple weeks ago, my wife Susie and I were heading to a small group gathering happening on a Sunday afternoon in a coffee shop on the other side of town from our house. Now, we, we, weren't, we weren't leading the class, uh, which meant we didn't have to get there early, but I also didn't want to get there late. So we decided to leave about 30 minutes before the group started for a commute that normally takes about 15 to 20 minutes from our house, which meant we had plenty of time to get there without having to stress about the commute. Or so I thought. After living in Baton Rouge for seven years, I should know better that that wasn't enough time. So as I drove on the on-ramp to get on the interstate, I could see the traffic slowing down at a distance. And while I got nervous at first, I wasn't too worried about getting stuck in traffic because, after all, I left early, right? I had time to spare. But then we sat in traffic, and we continued to sit in traffic. And it felt like an eternity that we were just sitting in traffic with no movement happening. And as I sat on the interstate, I kept seeing the minutes go by faster and faster and faster, faster than they had ever gone before. And then my biggest nightmare, my biggest fear came true. Suddenly, the ETA on my GPS said that I was going to get there two minutes late. And that's when I lost it. You know those people who wait until the last possible moment to merge on an on-ramp? Yeah, that became me. I became that person when I saw my GPS telling me I was going to be late. You see, what happened was that the person who was in front of me was leaving so much room between them and the car in front of them that the people on the on-ramp just kept driving up and uh, merging in front of him. And, and the more people that kept doing that, the less he moved because he didn't want to get close to the car in front of him. And so we just sat there waiting for all the traffic to get in front of him. And I just started getting more and more annoyed, so much so that I finally got tired of it. I forced my way onto the on-ramp and I decided to not only get in front of that car, I decided to get to, to just drive down the on-ramp as far as I possibly could and, that, and then force my way back into traffic, which is easy to do when you have a truck like I do. Now, even after I had left that car miles behind, a few choice words were still coming out of my mouth because after all, how dare he make me late? Right? Does he not know that I have a small group to get to? How inconsiderate of him to let all those people in in front of him. He should have at least asked me if I was okay with that, right? And worst of all, I was convinced, I had convinced myself that he was doing it on purpose, that he had seen me in his rearview mirror, he had seen how frustrated I was, and he just slowed down even more just to annoy me. Now, you and I both know that none of these thoughts are probably true. And it's probably, uh, it's, this guy has probably not even thought about that moment since Sunday. But I, on the other hand, have not been able to shake it since. I haven't been able to stop thinking about it because it brought out a side of me that I really hate, a side of me that I try to hide from people. It's a side of me that I know is there and, and I have come a long way in controlling it, but at times it still creeps up and when it does, I'm left feeling ashamed and embarrassed that it came out in the first place. Rebecca DeYoung, in her book titled Glittering Vices, calls this a hellish habit. And this is how she describes it. She says, this hellish habit often rains down with a big show of force, but perhaps the force is a big cover-up, 
an overcompensation for our own perceived weakness and vulnerability. Now, I've got to tell you, when I read that line, I had to put my book down and I started pacing around the coffee shop that I was at because I felt a little bit attacked by her words. How dare she say that my anger is an overcompensation for my own perceived weakness and vulnerability, right? She doesn't even know me. She doesn't even go here. After all, this was about the bad driver, right? We need to talk about the bad driver, not about me and my emotions. As much as it pains me to admit, she's right, though. And I think that's true for all of us. The anger that boils up inside all of us is really pointing to something else, something uh, that is a lot harder to identify and something um, that until we are, are able to figure it out, anger, this hellish habit that DeYoung talks about is going to continue to have power over us. So how do we overcome it? How do we learn to control our anger? In his book, The Good and Beautiful Life, James Bryan Smith says this, First, we need to examine the narratives that we are telling ourselves. In other words, before anger fully boils over, we have to stop and try to figure out what is causing us to get upset, right? What is truly bothering us? And when we're able to identify it, we have to name it. We have to say it out loud, whether it's to ourselves or the people around us, right? So in my situation, it would have been very helpful to just look at Susie and say, hey, I, I don't know why, but I, I'm scared to, to get there late because I'm, everybody's going to assume that I'm just the person that always shows up late, right? Or Susie, I don't want to show up late because uh, everybody might think that I just don't care about this group, right? The, the reality is that when I say it out loud, I would realize how... Um, untrue those words are right like how that that's just i'm being absurd right in thinking that but just naming it saying it out loud helps in doing that right so the first thing he says is uh um you know uh, name the narrative examine figure out what that narrative is that you're telling yourself smith goes on to say that we also have to dig a little deeper to find out where those narratives are coming from so we don't just have to identify the narrative. We have to figure out where it's coming from. So in other words, I have to figure out why am I so worried that people will see me as someone who either doesn't care or someone who's always late. Now, these questions, they're, they're tough questions. They're tougher questions to deal with and require a lot of time and reflection. But for Smith, asking these questions, dealing with these questions, opens our eyes to the false narratives that we tell ourselves and in turn, helps us make room for us to hear Jesus' narrative about ourselves. See, when we hear our own narrative, uh, when we hear our own narrative less, we're able to make more room for Jesus' narrative about ourselves. And the more we make room for Jesus' narrative about ourselves, the more we're able to control our anger and use it for good. Let me explain. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 say this. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there who, with a withered hand. They watched him to see whether he could cure him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately, conspired with the Herodians against him about how to destroy him. Now, 
This story is so interesting to me because the author specifically tells us that Jesus was angry in this moment. But notice what's missing. Notice what doesn't happen. Jesus doesn't let his anger come out in aggression towards the Pharisees. He never raises his voice at them or says mean things about them. All we know is that Jesus is angry. And if we pay close attention, we realize that Jesus uses his anger to further establish the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. Now, uh, we, we, um, I use these words intentionally, right? Jesus uses his anger. So the reason I say that Jesus uses his anger is that for many of us, we would have used our anger uh, instead of healing, uh, instead of using our anger to heal this man, we would have used it to get onto the Pharisees, right? For their unwillingness to help this man. But, but you see, Jesus knows that his anger is not directed at the Pharisees. It's actually directed at the situation that this man finds himself in. See, the reason we want to learn to control our anger is because when we do, anger then becomes a vehicle through which we bring good into the world. And ultimately, that is the type of anger we want to uh, let loose in this world. Listen to what James Bryan Smith says about anger. God designed us with the capacity for anger. Yet all of us are embarrassed by our angry outbursts, which often leave a trail of hurt and pain. So why did God make anger possible? See, anger is the correct response to injustice, and we are naturally opposed to injustice because we are created in the image of God. You see, God is against injustice, right? And that's why we also are against injustice, and and anger tells us of that. Now, he goes on to say this, many Christians think anger is always sinful and therefore repress or swallow it, which is not the best way to deal with anger. And he says this, Becoming angry in some cases is the right course of action. See, in our scripture, Jesus is angry because there was a man among them who was suffering and no one did anything about it. Even worse, it was anger. It was Jesus' anger that brought to light the injustice that was happening, all because the Pharisees were trying to trick Jesus. I mean, can you imagine we're going to let this man, they were, they were going to let this man suffer so that they could trick Jesus into uh, getting him arrested, right? I mean, they're playing games with this guy. And it's anger that tells us that this situation's wrong. See, the emotions inside of you that get frustrated by this situation in our scripture, uh, and the, the, the emotions inside of us that want us to go and help this man instead of playing petty games with him, that is anger at its healthiest. See, Jesus uses that anger, and instead of blowing up uh, against the the Pharisees, he goes and helps bring about the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. Instead of starting a fight with them, he goes and helps bring about the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. Instead of name-calling the Pharisees, he goes and helps bring about the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, at its best, anger is not a bad thing. At its best, anger can help bring about the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. And ultimately, that type of anger lives within all of us. And that is a type of anger that we have to release out into the world. But before we can do that, we have to do the hard work of identifying the false narratives our anger tells us about ourselves and instead replace it with the true life-giving narratives that Jesus has about us. One evening last week, my wife Susie and I had some unexpected free time, 
and we decided to sit down and watch the new Pixar movie, Turning Red. Now, I know that this movie has gotten some mixed reviews, but honestly, I, I really enjoyed it, and I recommend you go watch it. If for no other reason, go watch it for this one line. At one point, the main character says this. We've all got an inner beast. We've all got a messy, loud, weird part of ourselves hidden away, and a lot of us never let it out. But I did. How about you? You know, I think the same is true when it comes to anger in both your life and mine. We've all got an inner beast. We all have anger hidden away, and a lot of us never let it out. But it is possible that letting our anger out can be used for good. So what do you say? Can we work on our anger? Can we identify the narratives and instead listen to Jesus' narratives? Can we work on our anger so that we can let it out into the world and help bring about the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven? May it be so. Amen. I hope you found this sermon to be meaningful and relevant to your life. If you'd like to dive deeper, I invite you to visit midcity.church slash sermoncast and click on the current sermon series. There you can find a home sheet for this sermon that includes the scriptures that we talked about, questions to wrestle with, and a challenge to live out this week. While you're on the website, if you'd like to make a financial contribution to our ministry here at Mid-City Church, you can click the Give button in the top right corner. If you're new to the sermon cast, I invite you to text the word HERE, H-E-R-E, to the phone number 225-307-0662 and fill out a Connect card so that we can get to know you. I'm so glad you joined us today, and I look forward to seeing you next week.